This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, February 22, 2012. I'm Caleb Brown. President Obama says that super PACs distort the opinions of voters and allow those who are merely self-interested a disproportionate voice in the public arena. But the president is now supporting super PACs that may help ensure his re-election. John Samples, director of the Cato Institute Center for Representative Government, discusses the president's new position on the value of big speech in presidential politics. In what is probably his most notable uh, State of the Union moment, President Obama chastised the Supreme Court for, in his words, overturning a century of law in uh, the Citizens United decision that allowed corporations and unions to advocate freely with their corporate treasury accounts uh, in getting involved in, in elections in ways that they had previously been prevented from. Uh, since then, of course, we have SpeechNow.org, the case that effectively helped create uh, super PACs, um, much to the pleasure of the plaintiffs in that case, including uh, Cato's own Ed Crane. And uh, so now we're in a situation where Republicans have, have taken advantage of super PACs, mostly to beat up on each other. And President Obama, sensing the possibility that he will not be reelected, has decided to embrace super PACs as well. Uh, what kind of position does that leave him in? Well, I mean, he has said recently, you know, on after he embraced the super PACs, that it was his view that they should be completely eliminated. Uh, and it's pretty obvious on the face of it, uh, the political context. Uh, consider these numbers. I mean, at the end of last year, from regular fundraising, President Obama had over $80 million on hand. Romney uh, had uh, something like $20 million. And since that time, uh, the Republican super PACs have raised about $80 million, while President Obama's uh, super PACs had, had up until recently raised only about $4 million. I mean, the bottom line here was the president faced a situation where he was going to have an enormous uh, financial advantage if we were operating under the old system without super PACs. With super PACs, he is going to have a much reduced uh, system had he not himself uh, formed super uh, and endorsed the super PACs. So it's just, I think, a political motive here about, about this election. But at the same time, it's also true that I believe the president, uh, despite everything, does believe this. That is, he believes he would like to eliminate this form of uh, political activity. And recently, he's actually said why he believes that, which is an interesting thing to have a president try to articulate something as opposed to just uh, state it. And, but the reasoning is kind of odd, I, I think, in a couple of ways. Uh, one thing he said was that the problem with the super PACs were uh, they were a whole bunch of folks who are self-interested. Now, this is an odd kind of thing for you know uh, a describing a legitimate and non-legitimate political activity, right? I mean, does the president actually believe that the people on his side of the aisle, the uh, labor unions, public employee unions, and any number of other people, are entering politics free of self-interest? I mean. And, and it's odd, too, when you think about the American uh, sort of founding and the whole Madisonian notion that the problem really is not to get rid of self-interest or to decide who gets to enter politics uh, and only letting in the people who have 
the public interest in mind, but rather how to transform self-interested activity into something like the public interest. So the president has, I think, uh, not only a non-workable but a bad idea about uh, how to allocate free speech. Then the second uh, reason he's given because for eliminating super PACs is that he says, you've got billionaires who are just writing checks for tens of millions of dollars, and suddenly the entire dynamic of the election has changed, regardless of what voters' preferences originally might have been. Now, another way of looking at that is people have political speech and ads and so on, and voters change their minds because of them, right? The president seems to be assuming that voters have preferences, and then people spend on ads, and those preferences change. Uh, and that's a bad thing, that somehow the original notion we have, uh, the original idea voters have, is something that is should be sacrosanct. And what comes later, the whole political speech thing, the campaign thing, the election debate thing, all of that is something that really just distorts uh, uh, the whole undertaking. It's a very curious notion, but one I think that is based in a sort of fear of uh, – the, the, and years and years of demonizing people who spend on political speech. Uh, it's odd that I think in the end the president uh, doesn't come up with better reasons for the problems of the super PACs. Public spiritedness legitimizes your political activity. That's, mm -hmm. that's one half uh, of the argument. Mm -hmm. And that being self-interested uh, just does not rise to the level of, of something that people should have to uh, – to concern themselves with in the in a public sphere, and more radically, I think that it's somehow. And I have to say, in my my earlier book, the fallacy of campaign finance reform, what I noticed in progressive circles for a long time was the this idea that the the problem really was trying to prevent self interestedness from having expression in politics, primarily through campaign money or so on. But again. This is contrary. I think James Madison recognized the idea and the problem of politics and the problem of constitutional design is not to get rid of self-interest. You can't do that or you don't want to do that. But somehow to bring it into the proper institutions so that it trans people are rise above ultimately just a bunch of self-interested individuals and produce something like the public interest. And one presumes that uh, if enough people are on one side of an issue, that self-interest in effect is the public interest. Well, he does – President Obama does presume – and again, this is a long-held idea among progressives – is that um, the whole point of uh, bureaucracy, of go the federal government – uh, and of politics is in a sense impose a public interest on self-interested individuals, right, as opposed to somehow a process of discovery through politics that you, you attain at least through compromise and debate and so on. We work toward it. Um, th that the public interest is not something that exists prior to politics, prior to the campaign spending, prior to political speech, but rather something that is made over time through a rigorous and, you know, a political struggle, really. And he assumes uh, by suggesting that voters have preferences uh, that are then distorted, mm -hmm. that those preferences, like you say, pre-exist all of this 
uh, loud machination in politics. Yeah, the the preferences of voters are some like a golden age where they were pure and real, and then along comes the super PACs and the the bad bad guy billionaires, and they distort these these points of view. But you know, uh, the other thing you can say about this is, does that really uh, jive with the reality we've seen? I mean. Um, Mitt Romney's uh, or super PACs related to Mitt Romney spend money making arguments about Newt Gingrich and saying talking about his past and so on. Um, that had effects on support for Newt Gingrich. But the things that were said were legitimate arguments about uh, they were they didn't make up things about Newt Gingrich's past. In what sense is that a distortion? And how do you distinguish a distortion? Uh, from making arguments about the other candidate that causes voters to change their minds. Uh, I think the president's having it awfully easy here because he's president. Make arguments that week. John Samples is director of the Cato Institute's Center for Representative Government. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.